Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. Far below what you intended us to experience. Our lives are not living up. We're not experiencing the full the way you intended. But yet you want us to, to know more, to experience more. So Father, we come this morning and we pray that you'd create a holy space amongst us and that you would lift our vision, that you would motivate our hearts, give us courage to live for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's great to be back with you. I was with you, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And uh, David asked me to speak on discipleship, which is my favorite subject. And everybody else is true. I mean, just the sound of the word makes you excited, right? Discipline, discipleship. No? Maybe it's just me. I'm a little twisted and sick in that way. But uh, my other favorite subject is the kingdom of God. Now, I think that the idea of the kingdom of God is very difficult to grasp in a you know, postmodern Western America. One of the reasons that I think a kingdom is difficult to understand is that we get to elect our leaders here. How many of you vote? Okay, those that you didn't want to raise your... Okay, you're all embarrassed because you don't. No? That's my form of humor. No? Okay. And of course, with God, we don't get to vote. Or do we? Why don't you just hold that intention for a little bit? But here, we vote for our leaders, and if we don't like what they say, we just ignore them. Right? I mean, let's just be honest. You know, the closest thing you could probably find to a kingdom here on earth is Saudi Arabia, probably. They actually call it the kingdom. You guys know Saudi Arabia? There was actually a movie done called The Kingdom. Has anybody seen that movie? I'm all alone up here. My, two, my buddy. Okay, me. We saw it. Okay. Three guys. Four guys. Okay, we can have a whole thing now. In Mark... Uh, 1 verse 15, this is what Jesus is quoted as saying as he begins his public ministry. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God, a different kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. So of course if there's a different kingdom that is near, it kind of begs the question, well, what kingdom are we in? Right? And how many of you uh, have studied the Bible for some time? Give me your hands raised, please. I'm an interactive kind of a guy, and you're really not. <laughs> so that's okay. I love you either way. It's all good. But all throughout Scripture, the Bible paints this picture of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of this world, it's called, in Scripture. And so there's these two kingdoms, and we're told in Scripture that they're in conflict. They're trying to influence our lives. Of course, from the biblical perspective, one is trying to influence us toward heaven, toward God, toward the abundant life, and one is trying to tear us down or destroy us, we're told. And you're either following one or the other is what's portrayed for us, whether you agree with that or not. My strong belief is that's very true, 
and that it's very confusing to recognize when I'm walking in one or the other on a day-to-day, moment-to-moment basis. As they said, we've just moved to Itasca. I actually grew up in Roselle, Illinois. Everybody know where Roselle is? See, you knew that. A little bit more interaction. That was fun. All right. And we're literally still in boxes. I mean, the moving truck came on Saturday, and uh, we're at the end of a long ministry season as it is. We've been running hard and fast. Uh, I run a ministry called the LifeSpring Network, where we go out to churches and teach them how to train people in discipleship. And I train leaders and such. And so uh, I think this week, as I'm preparing for this talk, has been a wonderful snapshot into the struggle between kingdoms for me. You know, when you're tired, the, the stuff starts to show up again, doesn't it? You know, the old you that we thought was dead and retrained in God and all that. Well, for me, the wonderful invitation that I got to be challenged by God came by Comcast. You guys uh, have Comcast out here. We had Cablevision in Connecticut. And my wife was still like, quit calling it Cablevision. They don't, you know, anyway. Um, well, I had a bit of a testing season with Comcast, right? They came and installed the thing and didn't do it right. And then it shut off and then it turned on. And, and um, so the fruit of the Spirit vanished all of a sudden when I was on the phone. And I said, I don't know how you stay in business and what's going on over there. And, And it was as if I was having this epiphany, right? This moment outside of me that was going, is it more important to be right right now or to be in relationship? Make the choice. And that's a kingdom, very practical example of a kingdom choice. See, a kingdom choice would choose relationship, would choose patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. I'm I'm not going to give you what actually happened. I wasn't gentle though, you know. The old me showed up with vigor. That's big, okay, vigorous. Okay. So, but as I was reflecting on it, I was thinking to myself, you know, why? Here I am, somebody who has dedicated their life to being about the kingdom. And it just took one, you know, misstep, somebody not doing what they're supposed to do or whatever, and there I go being a part, being an accomplice of the kingdom of darkness. And of course, I I hid the fact that that I was, you know, I'm a pastor. You big meanie, bye, you know. No. Right? So I don't know if you can relate to that at all, but that's just a little snapshot of the struggle that we have in kingdom living. Now again, in a kingdom, the king's in charge. Whatever he says goes, and we, by his grace, which means his favor, however he determines that to be, get to have the lives that we get. We simply receive them and steward them well and accept our lot in life. One of my favorite biblical terms is, what is your lot in life? Have you ever thought about that? What are the, the influence and the resources and the capabilities and the opportunities that God has brought to you uniquely? That is your lot in life that you're intended to steward under his lordship. So uh, the thing I like about the kingdom of God is it's not about like the worldly kingdom, which is a system of control. That's, of course, how I understood that I was back in that worldly kingdom, is I was trying to control that man. Get over here and turn my cable on. 
right? Which I don't even know why, because there's so much junk on there. But you're with me. No, you're not. Okay, you're just laughing at me. Not with me. I'm very alone. I feel very vulnerable. Okay. When our lives are truly under the lordship of Christ, and we understand that life only works rightly when we're in that surrendered place, we will truly seek to live underneath His Lordship, under His guidance and His power. You see, I was becoming aware, uh, you know, <laughs> that I wasn't doing the right thing, and I couldn't stop it. I was living in my own strength, under my power. Does that make sense? And as we do that in our lives, we are the ones that lose. We miss out. We miss out on experiencing all that God can do in and through our lives. The kingdom of God, I like to say, is a relational reality that exists between God and us. More pointedly, it's between what's in our heart before a holy God. What do I really want out of life? Do I really want His will be done? Or do I want my will be done? And that's the war. In Luke 17, uh, Jesus was quoted as saying this, starting in verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor, with, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God, does anybody know how it finishes? is within you. Do we finally get it up? Okay, hi. He told me not to do that to him, and I did it to him. Like You said Matthew 13, right? That's what you're going to... Okay, I jump around. So now let's look at Matthew 13 together and, uh, and see what we can't glean uh, about this kingdom reality that's within us. The kingdom of God exists within you, and then it breathes life from that inner place. So first let's look at the setting. This is a, is a very famous set of parables that Jesus teaches, uh, but it's done within a very interesting setting. He's just come off being chastised by some Pharisees for healing on the Sabbath and for working on the Sabbath. And so here's the people, again, very frustrating reality for Jesus, who came you know, for his people, and the leaders of his people keep coming against his ministry. Very frustrating. So in light of that, and then in light of a teaching where he was challenged to uh, give a teaching about who his true family is. You know, anybody who does the will of God, he says, is my brother or my sister. Again, kingdom of God is a family of God. And so right after that, on the very same day when all that took place, he's frustrated, he's walking by a lake, people are just flocking to him. Like, we like what's going on in you. We like what you're saying. Give us more. And this happened to Jesus on a regular basis. So as he did uh, earlier in his ministry, he said, okay, give me a boat. Pushed out from the shore, I think partly to get a little distance, partly for good acoustics and stuff. And he started to teach them in parables, we're told. Okay? And so let's just dig right in. Matthew 13. On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake, such a large crowd gathered around him that he got in a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, and this is a very famous parable about sowing seed. 
A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, hears, let him hear. And without getting into what all that means yet, verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets, that's a cool phrase, of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Referring to the Pharisees. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Okay, let's just stop right there for a minute. So the disciples are getting a little frustrated with Jesus. They say, why do you keep speaking in parables? Make it plain. Okay, a little slang there. Okay. Make it plain. And he goes, there's a reason I speak in parables. Please, enlighten us. You can't understand the guidance of God without the power of God. Here are a group of religious leaders who think they can, in their own natural strength, read the Word of God, apply it to their lives, and be holy. Read it with their own eyes, understand with their own mind, and think they can live their faith. What do we call that? We call that religion. Religion is when you think you can understand the guidance of God and live it in and through your own strength and be a righteous, holy person by doing so. So if you get religion on one hand, Guidance of God without the power of God. What's on the other hand? The power of God without the guidance rooted in the truth of God. We just call that scary. I mean, it really is. You know, all kinds of damage being done. People who live like that. But I don't know how this intersects with your life. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, I speak in a parable because those who have eyes to see, those whose hearts are not calloused, those whose hearts are mine, are calling down both the guidance and my power into their lives, they'll see it. They'll hear it. And they'll have the understanding they need to align their will with my will. But if you do not want both the guidance and the power, which means you basically are running on nothing of your own, right? It's all God. Until we get to that place, if we do not have that, 
We will be ever seeing, it says, but never perceiving. And I'm sure we have amazingly bright minds here. You know, I went to school at Brown University, which is out on the East Coast. Some of the brightest minds in the world show up there. And I've been privileged ever since, and I've been out East for 21 years now, working with some of the best and the brightest, quote-unquote. What we're told in Scripture is that knowledge puffs up, (laughs) but love builds up. We're told in Scripture, guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life. Guard what it is that you want to do your will or to do the will of the Father. Guard your dreams, because they'll lead you to where you're going to go. So want God's will. Want God's dreams for your life. Come to God on a regular basis and go, God, I cannot see. Give me eyes to see. Where should I go? I cannot hear. Help me hear the world with your ears. And unless we do this, the Scripture is trying to convince us we will not live. We will not experience the abundant life, a life that Jesus is intending us to get. And again, this is only spiritually discerned. I can't even have eyes to see the way I could have lived without God. Now, the, the hard part of this is just to the beginning of the, where I started in this sermon. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is near. And the next word he said was, repent. Repent and believe. The hardest part about living in the kingdom of God is repentance. Because every time I come to God and say, I can't see, He shows you what His life would have looked like for you. And it stands in comparison to the life you're living. And it brings conviction of sin. I like to say that the holiest moment of your life is always right after confession. Right after confession. So if we're going to live as these kingdom citizens, you know, with God, part of the family of God, Confession's got to become like breathing. It's got to be very regular. Because if I'm continually growing in Christ, being a disciple, and we will be continually growing to the day we die, that's just normal, then He'll continually be showing me new things that I need to repent of and then get in alignment with. Constantly. So how is your repentance habit these days? Because the kingdom of heaven is near. It's right there. The only thing stopping you from realizing it is us, our hearts, our unwillingness to hear, confess, and by faith and His power, step into a new reality. Be retrained. The Bible would say be trained in righteousness. You know, this is a hard word, not an easy word. And boy, I sure don't like getting it, especially when I'm tired. You know, when you're in the rhythm of God and you're feeling all filled up, I'm in a good repentance cycle. But when I'm tired, I just want to be left alone. I just want to watch a movie or two. Leave me alone. But I thank God that He doesn't. He doesn't leave me alone. He keeps coming after me. Let's keep going. Because this is what he says to anybody who will do what we just talked about. Verse 16. For those of you whose hearts are not calloused, whose hearts are rightly aligned, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth. 
Many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. You know, righteous people, people who had a regular confession, were longing for the day when the Messiah would come and would teach them and model the way of the way to live. And here I am, Jesus is saying. And the people that should have welcomed me the quickest, the religious leaders of the day, those who should have been looking for me, are my staunchest opponents. You know, of course, Jesus goes on to call them whitewashed tombs and all this. He gave them the truth. Why did He give them the truth? In hopes that they might repent and believe. Now, we're not just believing in what was said. We're believing in His power to first illuminate it to me and to give me the strength to live it. It's one of the things that we're missing out on in our gospel. We've got a pretty impotent gospel sometimes in America. You know, when you go across uh, the, you know, the seas and uh, people talk about faith in America, they always say that it's a mile wide, but it's only an inch deep. They believe that we have no roots. Their belief is that we're the first three soils out of those four soils that were presented. You know, we either, you know, don't care, or we believe real quick when it's fun and easy and, you know, given in a one-hour, you know, time slot like this, but then we go out and live however we want. Or we believe the third soil that grew up with the thorns, and we want to have our life in God, and we want to have our life in the world too. We want both. If there's one concept America loves is more, Right? But again, this doesn't work because these kingdoms are in conflict and it doesn't really come alive. So how do you get to that place where you're that fourth soil? Where you're the good soil that produces 100, 60, or 30 times what was sown? Where God shows up through your life. Where the amazing power of God is on display in and through us. Not just a good religious life. How do you do that? Well, uh, skipping down to verse 24... He tells a couple more parables. And he goes, here's how you do it. Let me just frame this up for you so you understand what it's going to be like. So that you know, your expectation management is in order. Okay? Here we go. Verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Then when the wheat sprouted and formed heads... Then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. Harvest Community Church, the harvest. Good word, okay. Just as, so maybe until you came, until harvest, right? No. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and then tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. But at the end of the day, there will be a separation of those God-fearing people and those who never really lived under the guidance and power of God. He goes on. He told them another parable, verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. 
He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. And we're told this. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Continuing on, he's going to explain it now. Then he left the crowd and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. What was that all about? He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will weed out of His kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, so before we keep going, let's talk about weeping and gnashing because that was too good to miss, right? I mean, many of you, maybe if you're reading this for the first time, are wondering where all that imagery of hell comes from. This is one of the places where it's discussed. And what does that mean to you when he says, you know, in this place there will be weeping, okay, so that's crying, and gnashing of teeth. What does gnashing of teeth mean? I think it means this. I blew it. I blew it. You know, kind of like I felt with Cablevision. Or no, whoever, Comcast. Right? That's what it means. On that day, for those of us or anybody who led a self-directed, self-willed, self-led life, it will become abundantly clear right away that we blew it. We led our lives away from what we could have had. I think God's an amazingly just and fair God. I think it's very simple, the offer that He's giving us. If you want to lead and empower your own life, you may. And all that happens at death is I give you perfectly what you wanted. Life without my leadership or my power. See, even for those who are not seeking God in this place, in this time, God is still seeking them. God is still moving on their behalf. He sure did on mine. I hope he, you understand that He is on yours. But then it's going to be this amazing veil pulled away when God's upon death is no longer even, if, whether we care about Him or not, going to be moving on our behalf. We'll be completely alone. Then I think we'll really understand you know, my favorite definition of hell is where God isn't. And heaven's just simply where He is. And what we get the opportunity to choose to do here and now is to live under His Lordship and by His strength, which upon death gets perfected. And if I live in my own will and on my own strength, that upon death gets perfected. You get it? One way or the other, to the extreme. And He's saying... You don't want to be in that latter category. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, not exciting. Not good. That was pretty vivid. Everybody's in on that? Okay, y'all, that was good. Moved heads, that was excellent. One more time, though, he goes. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought the field. 
This is exciting. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The offer here is to completely clean out your heart. Take everything that was of importance to you, had value to you, that you owned, you thought you owned, sell it all, and make God preeminent priority in your life. The guide and the empowering presence of everything. Once you find it, it truly is life. It is the, and again, this is spiritually discerned. So, you know, as I was getting ready for today, I'm praying, God, give them eyes to see. Give them eyes to see that they live in a land of plenty. And some of them are living good lives. But good is definitely the enemy of greatness. And God is not calling us to stay in good. We were destined for abundant living. And we have to be people who say to one another, it's not good enough to stay where you're at. Let's go deeper. Let's let God show up in and through us. That, to me, is a life worth living. I hope you agree. I really do. One final parable. Once again, the kingdom of heaven, verse 47, is like a net that was let down into a lake and caught all kinds of fish. Always wondered what kind of fish I am. Was I a tuna? You know, I don't know. You know, tuna's good fish. People eat tuna. Anyway. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bat away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anytime Jesus repeats something, He's trying to get our attention. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Have you understood them? Which is kind of a trick question, right? It's kind of like, do you get it? And it's like too prideful to say, I get it. And like, you know, okay. I'm the only one that got that. Okay. Yes, they replied, of course. Right? He said to them, therefore, every teacher of the law who's been instructed about the kingdom of heaven, which you now have been, it's like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. You have new life to offer the world, not just religion. What you, if you're like me, I was raised, again, not very far from here, and I grew up Catholic. And, uh, and there are some wonderful Catholics, real believing Catholics in this world, and I'm, I'm amazed by many of them. But for me, it was an experience in religion. It was an experience of you should do this. God is angry with you. That kind of stuff. And so it did not bring, other than a fear of God and a reverence for God, awe, um, it didn't connect the dots for me. That was the old. But when somebody, when I was a senior in high school, started connecting the dots and said, yeah, that's a piece of the puzzle, sure. But do you understand grace? Do you understand the love God has for you? I said, you just put love and God in the same sentence. What? And he started to show it to me. Something I'd never understood before. That for all of this, this is why Jesus died. And for all that you could have. Not just that you go from bad to good, but to greatness. God wants to live in love through you, through the power of his Holy Spirit. Do you get it, Jace? And I go, I sure don't. 
but I'm starting to. Maybe God will slowly open my eyelids, which, like they were, were shut. I wasn't saying, God, show it to me. I thought I could figure it out as a pretty bright kid. God's not looking for bright kids. He's looking for open hearts. One of my favorite uh, scriptures says this, a broken and contrite heart the Lord will not despise. Broken. Do I have a broken heart? Do the things I want in this life not lead me to life? That's bro- so therefore I, I come, I don't know what I need. Show me, God. Give me eyes. Give me ears. Give me the right heart. And to those we're told in Scripture, I will renew your heart. I will take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh that responds to my spirit, that can hear the power and the desires that I put in it. That's what God's offering us. Those are the secrets of the kingdom. We're the only ones in the way. And when we move, when we rightly align ourselves with God, love happens. Life happens because God does it. And we'll end with this. My favorite phrase about God. Whatever God does lasts forever. We're being called into eternally significant lives if we would just be willing to align our hearts under the Lordship of God, living in His guidance and strength. Let me pray for us. Father, it almost seems too good to be true. Even as the words come out of my mouth, even though I've experienced Your power in so many ways, I've seen You move and do miracles. Father, the, the old nature, my flesh, the one that's used to living in the kingdom of this world, wants to hold me down. And so, Father, right now, I pray, a prayer of confession for us all. Father, we do not have eyes to see. We do not have ears to hear. We pray that You would give us these eyes by Your grace, by Your power right now. You'd give us these ears to hear what it is that You're trying to lead us to. Father, as You bring conviction of sin, help us to be malleable to be willing to repent and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.